Hi friends! Thank you for listening to episode 6 of Getting Litty, which is a, a wild, crazy ride through all things literary. I'm sorry it's been a little while since we've we've done an episode, but we're, we're in lockdown and I couldn't really be bothered. Actually, it's not that I couldn't be bothered, I didn't really have the motivation. But um, the, we did an episode, the no, the second last episode we did was about escapism, and it feels appropriate now. So we're doing a topic that was suggested to us by... Holly Bishop in, I can't remember when it was suggested, it was a while ago anyway, um, it was seven weeks ago, about book to film flop. She said a top five, but I actually have four, because there's a little bit of detail and a little bit of discussion. So this is all about book to film flops, and we'll be talking a lot about the meaning of the word flop. Um, anyway, here's the theme tune. <laughs> the theme tune if you indeed have done um it's been a little while the last episode was um the defense of twilight which had some lovely feedback on and i think it's one everyone to a fit of nostalgia which i think is appropriate because we need a little bit of nostalgia right now because if you're listening to this when it's published we're still in lockdown and remember that's not optional that's something that you have to do <laughs> if you're living in the uk i don't know what the situation in the u.s is I don't want to hazard a guess at the moment, but here in the UK, we're still being told to stay indoors, so we really should stay indoors. Um, anywho, so yeah, as I said in the cold opening bit, this um, was suggested to us by Holly. Hi, Holly. Because she'll be listening, probably. Um, Holly suggested an episode all about f- the top five book-to-film flops. So to start with, it, oh, I should also say, I'm joined by Joe. Hello, Joe's here because Joe lives here, and we're not allowed to leave the house because again, it's not optional. Um, so the episode is about book to film flops. Now I started looking into this quite a bit before I started to do research because this has been a heavy research episode. Um, but I won't bore you too much with all of that. Um, and it was a heavy research episode, and it got me to thinking like there's a ten a penny Buzzfeed articles that are like, this film wasn't as good as you remember. And BuzzFeed don't hire, like, the same types of people. So, like, I don't hire anybody, really. Like, anybody can make a BuzzFeed article. And I can sit here and say, well, I didn't think that film was very good. And that's, like, my opinion. And it's like, everyone's got opinions. So somebody's sitting there going, I don't think the Harry Potter series is very good. It's not, it's not an objective opinion. That's someone's opinion. No. No, it's not an objective opinion, that is an opinion, that's what I'm meaning to say. So the concept of a flop is very difficult, but I guess in official terms, a flop would be something that, in the studio's eyes, was not a success. So, let me just pick up my notes here, it's been a while since I've done this, so excuse my rustiness. <clears throat> Joe, would you like to say anything so far? Uh, no, well, um, I, I don't know if necessarily that I agree with it, just because... The main thing about a flop is that it doesn't make any money or it loses often quite a significant amount of money. That's right. But there can be films that make money but are still considered a flop because they made money because it, and we'll come on to this, because it was a really, really, really well-hyped film. Mm-hmm. So on opening night, a ton of people went to see it and made loads of money on the opening like weekend. Mm-hmm. And then word of mouth gets out, oh, it's a, bit, uh, it's a bit rubbish. Yeah. But then it would still, presumably, if I had a really strong weekend, it could still make back most of... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I'd, but then, so all I had was... Um, I'm going to my notes real quick. <laughs> um, critical response is not always a... a I can't even read my bloody notes. I'm really professional. I know that it's really catchy and cute that you write them using your Apple Pencil. Other pencils are available. <laughs> But maybe you need to type them up next time. Maybe. Oh, yeah. So critical response isn't always a be-all or end-all. It's a defining characteristic, which I think is probably quite... The last episode was all about the Twilight series. I don't remember the Twilight series getting a particularly good write-up. I should, really, because I, I, I spoke about it in the last episode. Um, so it's not fair to say that it's a flop. But they, they made loads of money. Exactly. Loads so of money. They're... and But then someone could misguidedly call that those films a flop. Mm-hmm. Because 
because they are not critically lauded. Yeah. And the fans of the books have very strong opinions about them. You know, so yeah. you could it would be wrong to call them a flop because it's not like the official kind of owl dictionary definition, but that's what some people would do. Um, the Greatest Showman, the critics hated The Greatest Showman, mm-hmm. and it's probably one of the most successful films in, well, of the last 10 years. Yeah. I like the music from The Greatest Showman. So, as I said, um, there aren't necessarily like five bookslash films that we've chosen, we've actually chosen four. Um, and all I did to get those was like troll the internet to try and find like all those different lists that are like these book to film things were a failure and again it's a whole lot of like people with like really really short haircuts being like it's wrong too many no's that kind of thing um, the first one we've chosen to talk about is I've, I have to say I've really shot myself in the foot here with these choices um, I could have chosen other things but the majority of the ones that I chose were like books that I'd read but none that I've, I've read in like the last actually no the first one is a, is a lie I wrote it, read that last year so the first one that I've chosen is um the film is called The Golden Compass but it is based on the His Dark Materials trilogy by Philip Pullman and I finished The Amber Spyglass when I was still, yeah it was when I was still working from home I'm now furloughed um, so I finished that one this year and I really liked the trilogy. I thought the ending was a little wild. But overall, I really, really, really enjoyed it. And I can see why people enjoy it. However, I struggle with it being classified as kids' books. Because they're quite hard to follow. And I don't know what kind of children were reading these between ages of like 9 and 12 and going, Oh, I love this. Or Joe just put his hand up. Joe was one of the ones. No, twi- no I, think I, I think I was in primary 7 when I read the first two. So like, I love... 12. Something 11 slash 12. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I, I, I struggle with that one. But I, I did enjoy them and it was interesting reading them as an adult. And one of the, the kind of defining hallmark features of the trilogy is that I would say kind of reductively referred to as anti-Catholic. Um, Philip Pullman himself has said that the film, the, the book, sorry, aren't inherently anti-Catholic. They are critical of Catholicism gone wrong. Um. And because of this kind of reputation as the books being really, like, anti-Catholic, the movie was, like, very, very heavily censored. Um, so the kind of vein running throughout the entire um, trilogy is this group called the Magisterium, which is, like, a really, really strong, um, almost extremist sect of the Catholic Church trying to control, like, the way that certain things are done. Um, so the, the, the Magisterium, who is based on the Catholic Church, um, obviously took a bit of issue with um, this being adapted in a kind of big screen adaptation that uh, such a big studio were back in. Um, and therefore a lot of the original elements, like the, the kind of dust that's mentioned in the book, the kind of scientific side of it, the out-and-out criticism of the Catholic Church, although it's not really out-and-out, I don't think. No, and it's I mean... subtle, unless you, like, know what you're looking for. And it's massively diluted in the film, because mm-hmm. they don't mention the authority... No. ...who are, like, the upper echelons of the Magisterium. Yeah. So they're completely taken out of it. And even with all that, I think the Catholic Church were angry because if kids would watch this film... And it was a... Like, I remember it coming out. I've been really excited about it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people were because they're quite a big cast. Nicole, Nicole Kidman mm-hmm. was in it. Daniel Craig, Ian McKellen, a lot of famous people. And I think they thought if the film got popular, kids who hadn't necessarily read the books would then re- read the books and that would kind of push them towards secularism and and rejection of, of religion. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, and it... And I think because you had the director who wanted to be faithful to the books, the studio who wanted them to make it less faithful to the books, mm-hmm. they kind of tone it down. And it's weird because often you find with things where, and we'll probably come on and talk about this later, but where something like the church, like a, a massive religion, will get involved and say, we don't want this film to be happening, we want it banned, blah, blah, yeah. blah. That's usually gold dust 
for studios because it's total free publicity. In this case, so it didn't seem to be. It but seemed to be. It's weird because one of the things I actually read when I was looking up, looking into it a bit, was that the, I think I think a lot of this. I think a lot of like young adult kind of, kids, sagas franchises where it was the Harry Potter effect. They were all trying to get a little slice of that market because suddenly, oh shit, look, the teen your kids are profitable. Like, like you know, mm-hmm. they, they thought they could have something as successful as Harry Potter. And I think it was the, the least offensive way they could possibly do it. But what ended up happening was um, that the... I think I, I had it written down here that the film didn't make enough money. So um, they then had to sell the rights quite cheap, I think, to like broadcasters and stuff to show the film on TV just to try and make back some of the initial funding. It would have cost a bomb to make because it won, it won the Oscar yeah. for best special effects. Special effects. Yeah, and I think um, it's it's going by Wikipedia here, so it's not exactly like confirmed sources. Well, the fact that it's a confirmed source is not the edit, um, and it says that the it was responsible for Warner Brothers kind of because it was a new line cinema who made like, Lord of the Rings, loads of stuff like that. Um, we're kind of struggling by this point and there is kind of a, a rumour or, or a suggestion that the, the failure of this film was what pushed Warner Brothers to kind of completely envelop New Line Cinema and it was a, a separate entity in name only because of this film because they got it so badly wrong. Yeah, I mean, for me, the source material is better than Harry Potter but for who it was marketed at, Kids and young adults, it's like you said, it's nowhere near as accessible. No, it's a complicated story set in an alternative reality with loads of different complex theological elements yeah. and things like that. Which quite would go heavy over on the heads. science. Yeah, I, and like I say, and the first book, Northern Lights in particular, does take a while to get into. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think with Harry Potter, you're boom, you're straight yeah, in. Yeah, pretty much. And. Lord of the Rings is a complicated book and it. it's not an accessible book but that wasn't marketed at kids that was no. marketed at grown ups Hobbit was marketed I think it was like a family read yeah but mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings you're right it wasn't with um, Golden Compass I so it's interesting you say you read it when you were younger I definitely enjoyed reading when I was younger but I wasn't like evangelical about it pardon the pun I was quite like I, I was a, a, a probably a mm, Casual reader. That's, why can't I think of that word? A casual reader. Um, I used to read the Harry Potter books and I'm quite like Roald Dahl. And I, uh, just like little books here and there but nothing that was ever like overwhelming or... I think I read The Hobbit. That was probably the most complicated thing I read when I was younger. And I think I bought... I actually got into reading a little bit as kind of Harry Potter evolved. Mm-hmm. And I remember buying... This is going to test me. It was it wasn't Waterstones at the time. It was Autocars in Kirkcaldy which then became Waterstones. I don't know if there was ever an Autocurs bookshop here. There was. Do you know where Nando's is in Lothian Road? Yes. That was an Autocurs <gasps> because that's where I got the Prison Azkaban. Oh, there you go. So yeah, Autocurs books in Kirkcaldy. I think it was in the middle of rehearsals for... No, it wasn't in the middle of rehearsals for Oliver. It was Oliver. Like when I was doing the show, Oliver, when I was 15 years old, I it was a two-show day. I went in, I went to Kirkcaldy quite early, my mum and dad dropped me off and I went to Autocurs because I'd been given money as like a well done thing. And I think I bought on that day, Mortal Engines, Knots and Crosses, and I think I maybe bought Golden Compass because it was a three for two. And it was like a, I felt a tie-in version of that, which that was 2004, so that would make sense, wouldn't it? Mm-hmm. I think. And I think I tried to read the Golden Compass then, at the age of 15 I was like, nah. Because, yeah. like you say, it does take a while to get into it. Because that's, like, that's another thing. By calling it the Golden Compass, there's no reference to the alethiometer being called the Golden Compass in the Northern Lights. So we should say as well, the alethiometer... I can't fucking say that word. Alethiometer. Yeah, that's the one. Is this device that has the ability to basically tell the future. Yeah, like, it's like an oracle it, kind of thing. Yeah, like you can ask it questions and it will... If you can read it, you can kind of... Predict the future. Yeah, I'm not going to give anything yeah. away, but you kind of uh-huh. make sense of it later. Again, as it's it like an, your own personal oracle. Pretty much. And it is an essential plot device, like yeah. all the way throughout. It is quite essential. And it gets written off as this golden compass. 
Because, but it's never in the books called the Golden Compass. So when if you're a big fan of the books and you're driving... Because I remember they had the big billboard outside the Sainsbury's at Murrayfield. Mm-hmm. A big giant billboard of it, the Golden Compass. How were you meant to know what that was? If you were a big fan of the book, no. you would just see this thing. It was only because you could see the polar bear with armour, yeah. which is a big part of the book. Mr. Yorick Burn the Thing. That you thought, that. oh, I wonder if that's... And then, obviously... But it was just marketed really, really badly. Yeah. And I think it's because it was it, there was too many people involved in it. There was too many warring factors yeah. of it, which, again, like we'll probably come on to it, I'm assuming, yeah. your next topic criticism and controversy can sometimes work for a film and it mm-hmm. can sometimes work against it and can work yeah. against this one. Yeah. I think for um the for this one in particular, like I think actually one of the things that struck me is that despite his kind of reluctance or, or despite his, his grievances with it, Philip Pullman who wrote the original source material was actually quite supportive of it. Oh was he? Like a, yeah, like from what I gather anyway, it didn't seem like he was like, This is shite, abandon it now. He seemed to be like quite supportive. Um but he had said himself, like it's not a direct quote but it's a note, and it's that the books aren't anti critical, they are critical of spirituality gone wild. Um and I think it's I've never looked into it too much, but I think when you look at like Catholicism and Scientology gonna get us cancelled we're gonna get thrown oh, off the apple yeah. podcasting <laughs> um they have a lot of power and a lot of sway specifically in hollywood um when you think about like i'm going off topic here a little bit but it doesn't matter that's okay you remember like book of mormon when book of mormon came out the, the musical by trey parkin and matt stone who did south park everyone was like the mormons are going to hate this and trey parkin and matt stone were like no they'll be all right with that and they were like nah i don't think they will be and they were like, no, trust us, they'll be fine with it. And then it came out, and I think the Mormon church were like, our response to this is measured. Because none of what they say in that show is a lie. Yeah. And even, like, in the back of the programmes, certainly in the UK, there is an advert that says something like, you've seen the show, now read the book. Like, they know, yeah. like, I don't know. It, it's an opportunity for a discussion, but I think it speaks to, like, I don't know, something like negativity or fear that it can't generate a discussion instead of... Mm-hmm. Because... What's there to argue about? Like, the, the kind of Catholic church would go, well, do you know what? This is a... This is a real kind of... This isn't at all what we're like. This is what we're like. Mm-hmm. There's an opportunity for that. There's an opportunity for the discussion as opposed to like, nope, stop it. We're not like this. Like... What I will say, they're not really... You're not going to get that from organised religion. You're not going to get a... A kind of go-between... We do from the Church of Latter Day Saints in regards to the Book of Mormon. What I will say is the BBC adaptation of it is really good. I've not finished it yet because it's quite it's quite heavy going. Oh yeah, and it's very faithful to the book. Yeah, it is really faithful. Although I say that they're faithful to what happens across the trilogy, but it's not like first book, first series, second book. Well, the second series isn't out yet. Yeah, but it is kind of like it takes bits from this. Mm-hmm. Is it bits for the third? So book? yeah, so characters who show up in the second book. In the first series, I think it's just only got two seasons. Oh, right, okay. And from what I saw, it's very good, but it's a little slow. And it's slow. But it's, it's entertaining enough, and it's got loads of good people in it, like um, Ruth Lim- Wilson. Ruth Wilson, Lemuel Miranda's in it. Um, what's his face? Uh, James McAvoy. James McAvoy, yeah. James McAvoy's been in it for about 10 minutes, and I'm on episode 5. Oh, really? Yeah. But that's the same in the first book. He's not really in the first book very much. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So yeah, that was Golden Compass. But the what I will say to kind of end on that, um, for what I was saying about Phil Pullman, kind of wasn't didn't actively denounce the film at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think he was quite supportive. Um, and instead of the Magisterium, were an example of Catholicism gone bad. Uh, but were changed to represent all dogmatic organisations because otherwise film would be commercially unviable. That was the last thing I had to say in that. But anyway, we're going to go on to the next one. And the next one is, sticking with the Catholic theme, and Joe's going to have to pretty much lead this one, except for the notes I've got, The Da Vinci Code. So now moving on to The Da Vinci Code, which is a book by Dan Brown. Is it part? Is the, does the series have any name? I... Mm. Is no. it, it's Dan Brown, isn't it? Yeah. I'm great at this. Um, 
by Dan Brown and the movie's star, Tom Hanks has been in all of them so far. Audrey Tautou? Audrey, is she in all of them? No, she's just in the first one. Is she, she maybe, no, is she in Angel and Demons? I can't remember. That's fine. I would like to read them and watch them because I've done neither of those things. And therefore, I've taken some notes and I'm going to let Joe... He can talk about it a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, and I'll chime in maybe whatever. My dad read them. I don't know if he's seen the films, but he really enjoyed the books. When, so I, what year did the book come out? Oh, I'll find that for you just now. Keep talking amongst yourselves. Because um, you I, I read the book when it first came out, so it was reasonably I young. think it was 2000. I think it was when Goblet of Fire came out. Oh, I must have read it after that. There's no way that I'm... 2003. Right. So, yeah, probably... Angels and Demons was 2000, but that was 2003. Right. Um, so, I'll start off by saying Angels and Demons is a better book. Okay. And a better film. But we're not talking about that. Um, so, I... Well, would have been, what, 14 when it came out? Yeah. And I liked it. I really liked it. But I think because reading was quite in for people our age. Yeah. At that kind of time. And this was, this was like, I can't think, leaving Harry Potter aside, I can't think of a book being like this. Like being as big as this. No, it was pretty big. Like, you think of Twilight and things like that, but like, I don't think the Twilight books were ever as big as the Da Vinci Code. It was like a monster, like, hit. I think the difference with that is that we've talked a lot about the Harry Potter series. Obviously, Twilight got a whole episode, rightly so. Um, those are aimed at kids and teenagers. Mm-hmm. Where the Da Vinci Code was aimed at adults. Yes. How many blockbuster series have there been for adults? There haven't really been many. Um, so I think Fifty that's... Shades. A, well, that's <laughs> left it though, but it was Fifty Shades started his life as Twilight fanfic. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I actually, I started Fifty Shades of Grey when we were on that. I read the first chapter and there was a spelling error, so I put it down. Well, I've had enough. <laughs> but, but yeah, the book was a runaway success. And I, I think... There's been revisionism on the book. I've only read it once. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of people now look back on it and think, oh, it was all well, rubbish. And again, most of the things in it have been disproven, not just by, like, the church, but by, like, the theologians and historians and people like that. It has been disproven. Yeah. Um, it, it made some interesting ideas. So, do you know, like, the, the purpose, like, of it, how in Da Vinci's The Last Supper... You've got Mary Magdalene. Another brief kind of. I, I don't. I'm totally lying. I don't know. I've I've honestly read so story time real quick. I started to read the Da Vinci Code in sixth year of high school because I started to take higher English in sixth year again because I thought I was going to fail it. Turns out I nailed it and I got a B in fifth year, so I didn't need to keep doing it. But at the start of every period, or it was every period or every double period or something, we had to read a book, and I got Da Vinci Code at the library because I thought I'll read that one, and I started to read it and. I quite enjoyed it, but then because I didn't have to take English again, I stopped reading it. Um, so I, I don't really know anything about it. Um, let me just have a little look here. So go back to my notes. So you were making a point there. Yeah. So if my memory serves me correctly, Leonardo da Vinci, you've seen The Last Supper, the da Vinci picture. Yeah. So there's a woman in it, or someone who looks like a woman, and the thought is that it's Mary Magdalene. Yeah. She was everyone's. She was a pal. Yeah, and her and Jesus had a, a fling. Even though it was, in, was it not a gay? Oh, I don't know. That's another kind of worms that you probably. Yeah, probably don't that one alone. <laughs> um, but I so, the book kind of centers around things like that, and there's a, a monk who wears a thing called a celiche, I think to call yes, it. Yes, I remember that. And it's like a barbed wire belt that he tightens around his. It's gross. Like it's, aye. Um, but yeah, the book, it's a page turner. It was, it's, it's fast paced and it's interesting for a 14 year old. I, mean, I think if I went back and read it now, I would probably be like, oh. Well, I will say, from what I read of it as a 17 year old, I enjoyed it. But again, I stopped dead. I shouldn't have stopped, but I did. But from what I read of it, I really did enjoy it. Um, I want to go back to the points because obviously we've planned this. We don't just throw this together regardless of what it seems like. We've just been planning. 
Um, I've not seen any of the fucking films. Well, I've asked you about it, you can't lie. Um, so my first note here says that Joe says the Da Vinci Code is an example of miscasting. Yes. As soon as it was announced that Tom Hanks, who I love and adore and love and adore... Probably, sorry to interrupt you, if you were to put a gun to my head and say, Paul, who's your favourite actor on film? I'd be like, oh, Tom Hanks! Right, okay. Easy. Not for me, but okay. Anyway. But I still really enjoyed Tom Hanks. He's been amazing films, an incredible actor. But in the books, Robert Langdon is described as quite suave and handsome and things like that and Matt you you read the book and you thought right okay this is George Clooney when they make the film this is George Clooney is going to be playing this part I mean I would I would I would rebuttal that and say that Tom Hanks is quite a suave handsome man Maybe as suave and handsome film. as George Clooney mm-hmm, probably not but but that's but that that was me and that's what yeah. most people I think who I knew that had read the book, as soon as it was announced that Tom Hanks is, I was like, that is totally not who I, I can't think of a single person who thought, oh Tom Hanks is good cast in, mm-hmm. not that it was bad cast in because he's good in anything because he's good in anything, any is a is something in this, um, but for me it was it was a George Clooney or like a Brad Pitt or something like that. Okay. Now, the other note I have here, we'll get to this thing being a flop quite soon because this is an example of something that isn't necessarily a flop. People just regard it as such because it's not as good as the books, perhaps. Um, but my next point is that it says, it says rather than seeing. But I think that was something to do with the fact that you said the characters in the film tend to announce themselves. Yeah, uh-huh. and and like... So in the, I think it's the same in the book. It is like they haven't bothered making a script or a screenplay. They've just given people the book and said, here, read. That's your yeah. script. Because it is very descriptive. Yeah. Um, Interesting that, because one of the things... Um, one of the things I always find, because inevitably when a film comes out of a, of a book, people watch the film and they go, well, that's not how I imagined that line being said. And it's because it's a different medium entirely. The classic example being in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, when <laughs> Dumbledore says, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? And in the book it says, Dumbledore asked calmly. And then in the book you've got Michael Gambon going, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire? Michael Gambon's squaring up to him and grabbing him by the throat and stuff Just like that. Just really unnecessarily aggressive. But that, So there's always going to be a difference, but each serves its, like, its own purpose it's got its own reason it could be to do with like acting motivation it could be to do with whatever but then i think as well like i don't mind that as much mm-hmm. like if you're going to change for me right if i can rant for just a moment if you're going to change the, the entire ending or the entire middle or whatever of a, of a film why bother adapting it why not just do something different right I, but then i fall 50 50 because i think these people as well that are like nope that's not how i envisioned that line being said that person had a fringe like, that kind of shit. Like, leave it alone. Like, just let them exist as two separate entities. I suppose if it's something that... Like, I don't think The Da Vinci Code is anyone's favourite book. You never know. I wouldn't imagine it to be... I'd, I'd really enjoy it. I don't know if it's favourite. In fact, it's the one. It doesn't matter. But it's... I think if it's something that you feel really passionately about and if, it's a, if it is, like, your favourite book and... They turn it into a film, and the film is completely different to what you think it, the book mm-hmm. should be. Then that is quite valid for you to say, well, this book means a lot to me, and the film has kind of ruined it, because I wouldn't have cast that person. That's not really how I would have done that. I would have taken that bit out, but I would have added this bit in. Like, these are valid criticisms. But you're yeah. not going to please everyone. No. And particularly it. for a book so, as massive as... I mean... The film is dog shit. It is not a good film. <laughs> okay, well, it's good we got to that because I was thinking it was a little bit too much of a love letter. Uh, I would say um, to that, I think obviously you're absolutely right. You're not going to please everybody, but that's what they're intended to do. And I think that a lot of like book fans specifically feel like the film is being made like just for them. And it's not. A book is made for book lovers. An adaptation is made for book lovers and ev- like as part of everyone else. And for people who can't be bothered reading the book. Exactly. Exactly. 
But the reason this is a flop is for the reason George just said, because he, not purely because he thinks it, but he says it is dog shit. It is, it, I mean, the things I remember, it's very dark. Like, yeah. not like a, a David Fincher film dark. It is like, does the Louvre not have any lights? <laughs> I've been there and it is quite a bright place, but it, it, it is really, really dark. It's, it's quite. I don't know. Again, my big problem with it is, I, it, Tom Hanks is just completely miscast. Mm. It's so the wrong role for him. Yeah. Like, I can't think of many action films that Tom Hanks has been in, and they've been good. I think of any action films he's been There was that one. Or Captain Phillips. Was that an action I've film? I've never seen that. I to... suppose it gets... Yeah, but this is like an espionage action film and he's running about and uh-huh. they're, he's running into, you know, oh, look, there's the Mona Lisa. There's a picture for Leonardo da Vinci. And then he runs, a, runs about again and Audrey Tortu is running behind him. Oh. <laughs> and, I mean, there are, there are good points. Ian McKellen's in it. He is hysterically in it. He's like a... I can't remember his name, but he's like an old kind of aristocratic art fan. Right, okay. And he's very... He's basically like a thin Brian Blessed in it. He's really loud that. and bombastic and things like that. But again, the film is just not good. I think the critics agreed. Um, a good measure that I always go by is um, Rotten Tomatoes, which is always a good resource that kind of collects all the... Um, critics reviews and kind of gives them an aggregate and that forms a Rotten Tomatoes score and is it 100% certified fresh or is it basically anything over like 95? I can't remember. But if it's anything below a certain number it is rotten like it's not great. But um, the Da Vinci Code received a 25% approval rating uh, on Rotten Tomatoes based on a sample of 224 reviews and an average rating of 4.7 out of 10 and the critics consensus states what makes Dan Brown's novel a bestseller is evidently not present in this dull and bloated movie adaptation of the Da Vinci Code. Um, what I would say um, is that Roger Ebert, who was like a legendary critic mm. for the Chicago Sun-Times, he um, had spoken very negatively about the novel, gave the film three out of four stars, stating that the movie works, it's involving, intriguing, constantly seems on the edge of startling revelations. Of the storyline, he also commented, yes, the plot is absurd, but then the most movie, but then most movie plots are absurd. That's what we pay to see. And Tom Hanks actually said something very similar too, which I'll read quickly before we go into the Catholic stuff because we rambled on about this quite a bit. Um, Hanks told the Evening Standard that those involved with the film or <laughs> always knew there would be a segment of society that would not want this movie to be shown. But the story we tell is loaded with all sorts of hooey and fun kind of scavenger hunt type <laughs> nonsense. He said it's a mistake to take any sort of movie at face value particularly a huge budget motion picture like this. Yeah, I mean, I think they probably tried to make it like an Indiana Jones type yeah. thing. Yeah. And the thing is, it must... Who who made... Was it not, was it not quite a famous writer? Quite a famous director? Ron Howard. Well, Ron Howard's really good. He's made some really good films. Yes, definitely. This just isn't one of them. Yeah. But it must have, well, obviously made a truckload of money because it's had two sequels. Yeah. Well, I mean... And I think I would have done. Angels and Demons is a good film. Well, in comparison. I've never seen Inferno, but I, I don't really have the... Is that him? Did they make Inferno? Yeah. Oh. Um, so the movie made... Uh, it was the number one film at the US box office during its first week grossing more than $111 million. Fifth highest gross of 2006 in the US and grossed $758 million worldwide in 2006. Wow. So this was the second highest in 2006. So... It, I mean, they did all right, and that'd be why they made sequels. So, that would be one that people would consider a flop because it wasn't very good. Yeah. But it's not a flop in the sense that it made a shitload of money and spawned um, spawn sequels. Um. However, this one had quite admirably actually. There was a lot of negative press from the once again the Catholic Church and the Vatican. Um. I'll read this out real quick. Um. At a conference on April 28, 2006, the Secretary of Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, a Vatican Curial Department, Archbishop Angelo Amato, specifically called for a boycott of the film. He said the movie is full of calumnies, offences and historical and theological errors. Um, so the Vatican didn't like it. And Opus Dei, who are the... Yeah, they're like the, 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 the kings of the, 
the yeah. Catholic Church. They're like the up. They're like the Illuminati, basically. That's how they're portrayed. Right, and okay. They don't come in there until the next book. So they said, stating that it does not intend to organise any boycotts, Opus Dei, the Catholic organisation that's featured prominently in the novel and the film, released a statement on February 14th, blah, 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 um, asking Sony to consider editing the soon-to-be-released movie so it would not contain references and it felt might be hurtful to Catholics. The statement also said Brem's book offers a deformed image of the church and the Opus Dei will use the opportunity of the movie's release to educate about the church. Because they had the big problem where, because again, your man, the monk, who... It's supposed to be like a big beast. It's um, uh, Vision from the Avengers. What's his name? I always forget his name. Paul Bettany yeah. is the monk. And I think they were unhappy with the whole self-flagellation mm-hmm. and the, the torture devices and all that that mm-hmm. he used on himself. And they were probably quite unhappy about that. So quite negative. Yeah. But instead of doing what they've done with the Golden Compass and just going to town with scissors on the film and cutting bits out, Ron Howard probably was just sitting laughing into all his millions, being like, This is great, this yeah guaranteed a number one at the box office. Yeah, just being like, Yeah, we're gonna do it anyway. Yeah. We'll just pressure it. We'll we'll go for it. So that was the Da Vinci Code. Do you agree or disagree? Well, you can I was gonna say write it in the comments. There's not a comments box on here. Although we are five star rated. Anyway, the next one we're going to talk about is... Hmm. What is that? Uh, um, uh, either a series of unfortunate events or Great Gatsby. We could talk about both. But we'll see. Okay. Coming up in a second. So I'm not going to go into as much detail, hence the confusion about um series of unfortunate events, because it's tricky with that one, because Joe hasn't seen it, and I have not seen the film for years and years and years and years, and also, I've only read the first five or six books, which I really, really enjoyed the books that I read, so I've not even read the whole thing, and even if I had, I've not read them since like 2004, I want to say, like it's, it's been a long, long ass time, Um, I will say, I'm told that the Netflix adaptation of which I've only really seen the first series or part of the first series is a lot more faithful to the books so if you want a good oh apparently we're in like downtown Miami is that a lowrider it was actually a lowrider shut up in like an old BMW with a face mascot and I did feel like I was in Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet or like Grand Theft Auto Vice City sorry about that that was a car went past with loud music that was in downtown Miami for a moment anyway um but the, the the Netflix series offers, I think they do like two episodes per book, which is they're quite short books. It's like more than what you need, and I think that the gist of people's reaction to a series of watching events, the movie, was that it was trying to cram three books into one hundred and three minutes of film, um, and in so doing, made up quite a lot of plot elements, and it really became like I remember the film because of Jim Carrey's performance in it. And I think that's why most people remember it. Because you know what most people forget? Meryl Streep is in that film. Any well, film there's not loads of famous folk in it. Um, Jude Law's in it. Billy Connolly's Billy in Connolly. it. Is Jude Law the narrator? Yes, he's the lemony snicket. And also, um, Catherine O'Hara's in it. She plays the, um, the um, what do you call her? The, like the registrar Yeah. at the end. I won't give any pop points away. So not really much to talk about with um, a season of watching events. I would like to read all those at one point though because I think it's really good. There's loads of that. 13. Because mm. 13 is an unlucky number. I get it because unfortunately. <laughs> I see. Um, but anyway, we're going to just, just want to touch on that one a little bit and explain the reasons why. An honourable mention. Yeah, an honourable mention. We'll call it that. But the next one we're going to talk about is The Great Gatsby which Joe and I have both seen and read. Okay. So the next thing we're going to talk about is um, The Great Gatsby. Actually, the movie... So the movie was adapted in 1926, um, 1949, 1974, and 2013. And the one we're going to focus on is the 2013 one, which I believe was just called Gatsby. Or did they call it The Great Gatsby? No, I'm sure it was called The Great Gatsby. Oh, either way. Um, The 2013 one stars Leonardo DiCaprio um, as the titular Gatsby. And that's where the good casting ends. (laughs) And Kerry Mulligan as Daisy. Daisy. Tobey Maguire. Who is Tobey Maguire in that again? He is Nick Carraway. So he's Carraway. like basically the main character of the book. Yeah. Tobey Maguire is the main character of a really big budget film that's not Spider-Man. 
wild. It's great in Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire. He gets a shit rap because of the third Spider-Man film. The third Spider-Man film was still better than any of the Andrew Garfield ones. They just fight me. <laughs> they no, just don't. not. I don't know. We'll get through Tobey Maguire okay. in a minute. And it was directed by Baz Luhrmann, who is a director known for Strictly Ballroom. Strictly Ballroom, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet, Moulin Rouge. And Australia. Don't love Moulin Rouge. I don't love Baz Luhrmann. But you like Moulin Rouge? Moulin Rouge is a great film, but that's his only one. And that's because Moulin Rouge is the only film that fits with his yes. style. Yes. I, mm, I say I agree. I've only seen... Australia. I went to see the, I went to the cinema to see Australia. It is three hours of just nothing. Like I think I watched that with my mum and dad, or I started to watch it with my mum and dad. Now, anybody listening that doesn't know me, my <coughs> attention span isn't great. No. I was just polite. It's just not great. And I think I started to watch it and I got about an hour in and I was like, right, well we're we're heading towards conclusion fabulous. Nah. Are we buggery? There's only two hours to go. I, I don't remember. I don't know if it is just if it is really long or if I'm just remembering it as really long because it is suborin. Uh, it might be that, but I I do remember. I I I couldn't even tell you what the film was about. I I seem to remember something about a cliff, and Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman, and that's that's Aye. anyway. That's Australia, um, Great Gatsby, um, Joe evidently did not like this film. I've only seen it once, um. Did I like the film? I think I did like the film. I quite liked the, the... I thought the soundtrack was very inventive. I liked what they did, how they kind of... Did a lot of the songs in that kind of style. And I thought um, Lana Del Rey's Young and Beautiful... It was Jay-Z the, that produced it, wasn't it? Oh, I don't know. It might have oh, been. I'm sure it was Jay-Z that produced it. I felt that Lana Del Rey's Young and Beautiful Good thematically song. fit the book. And I suppose the subsequent film very well. But weirdly didn't fit that adaptation. No, because... The Robert the book in the Robert Redford film, I get that it's about like the Roaring Twenties and it's quite glitz and glam and things like that, but they are quite The book isn't a a, a thrill a minute. No. And neither was the Robert Redford film. It no. was quite understated given the time of the film. Mm-hmm. So the Lana Del Rey song, like she's got that kind of old classic style vocal. Wayfish, wispy. Yeah. And like the song fit well with the story. Yeah. But not the film because the yeah. film was all it was Emily Sandy doing a cover of a Beyonce song. Like that is yeah. the Baz Luhrmann doing a And that Fergie went a little party never killed nobody. Oh <laughs> God. Cause then that 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 song would fit. Like if it was a film that was an adaptation purely of the parties in the novel, then fine. See if Baz Luhrmann wanted to make a film about the Roaring Twenties. Those songs would a would a fit, yeah. but in this, my my metaphor works. So the book is Beyonce. Okay. And Baz Luhrmann is Emily Sandy doing a cover of it. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Don't give me gristle and pretend it's a fillet steak. Put Emily Sandy. Oh, she does sing at some Olympics sometimes. I, I, nothing against Emily Sandy a lot against Baz Luhrmann because yeah. he's not he's not good yeah, okay that's fair um, so that's Joe's, that's the film we're going to talk a bit more about the film but Joe I, I do remember you saying it was your favourite but obviously that changes and stuff but it's one of your favourite oh, books oh it's, it's one that I could pick up tomorrow and read again and again and yeah. again and I have I've only read it once and it was seven years ago but I've been told by more than one person that the you get the most out of it by reading it more than once. Yeah. But I will say, I struggled to get through it the once. So right. I've never bothered to go back and try and read it again. Okay. I would probably one day, but not, like, today's not that day. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I wouldn't be in any hurry to. But from what I read of it, I did quite enjoy it. And um, I think for me, my problem is that, talking about the, the book for a second, is that the book, um, it's kind of like, at the time it was made, I was like, I can't really speak for the Roman Twenties because we're almost a hundred years clear of the book being published. But the book now, because it's like a kind of classic, has become this kind of like waster's manifesto. 
like all these people that have got far too many feelings but just like to get drunk all the time because they, they're, they're hollow inside it has become that and people using like just totally disembodied random quotes from the book to seem deep yeah does my tits yeah. in uh-huh. like uh-huh. this one in particular um i'm sure that, like i say i'm sure at the time this was lovely um life steals all over again when it gets crisp in the fall no sorry life starts all over again when it gets crisp in the fall like it's genuinely there are passages in the book that are beautiful like incredibly beautiful yeah and of incredibly course. poignant because the book is quite a poignant book yeah that was missed completely like have you seen the robert edford film no it's, that, it's, it's got a good song really though, really, really good what will i do but again, that's got that's another one that's got a really good cast in it. Like Robert Redford is really good in it. Mm-hmm. Mia Farrow's excellent. Yeah. And Sam Waterston, who is Martin Sheen's husband and Grace and Frankie, uh-huh. is Nick Carraway. <laughs> yeah, okay. Sam but, Waterston. Remember Joy's Guardian yes, Friends? I do. I do. So, like you say, that kind of loveliness is all missing from the film. Yeah. Um, I'm going to like that then and say that it was. So, I would like to look at the kind of critical reception here. Um, there was Joe Morgenstern from the Wall Street Journal said that the film represented a lot of the garishness and glitz that Fitzgerald was critical of in the book. Now, as I say, I've only read it once and I've only seen that adaptation once. But my understanding of the book is that Gatsby has all these distractions to try and put a shield up to his loneliness. Because it's all about the division between old and new money. Yeah. So Gatsby's new money, uh-huh. whereas... Tom Buchanan, who is his, his, essentially his love rival, uh-huh. is old money. Yeah. So he puts this, or have, has all these parties as a kind of facade to make him seem like he's really classy and really old mm-hmm. money. Whereas... And surround himself with people without really yeah. needing to connect. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whereas I think... Because... I think it is probably a critique of the time because you might not remember if you read it, but there's not... No one in it is likeable. Oh no, I don't remember anybody. You feel sorry for you feel sorry for Gatsby, but he's incredibly frustrating as a character. I think I liked. I didn't like Daisy. No, she, Jordan it, is Jordan, who is a friend, who's quite trashy. Is she I, the one? Spoiler: Is she the one that gets killed? No, that is, spoiler, that's Tom Buchanan's mistress. Yes. Remember when they go into because they drive from West Egg. In Long Island and in New York, but they yeah. go through this little shanty town, yeah. and there's a garage where there's a woman who Tom Buchanan's having an affair with. Mm-hmm. She dies. <laughs> yeah. Daisy runs her over. Yes. Gatsby takes the blame, and that's how the ending yeah, happens. And then Tom. Yeah. No, Tom doesn't. Tom tells this woman's husband that he was she was having an affair with Gatsby, and he killed her. I think so. I thought it was because in the in the film it's um, <coughs> Joel Edgar and is Tom. I thought it was him that did it. No, it's oh. um, see that's John C. Riley that plays because Isla Fisher is the girl who I think you may be thinking of Chicago. <laughs> no, you check that. Check that. Confirm it. Um, but no, it's interesting. I think do you know what I think I'm gonna have to read it again now. It's, I mean, it's, it, I've ordered that. Have you? Yeah. We're from one of the books. Yeah, I was looking at it. Right? Hope you're listening. Probably not listening. Lower your prices. Well, that's the thing. That must be one of the things that has sold best during this entire lockdown is books. Mm -hmm. I have five arriving tomorrow, I think. I have a problem. It's Jason Clark. Show me a picture. Oh, yes, yes, I remember. That's ringing bells now. So, what were we saying? Yeah, so a lot of that was missed. And... But there's, you were saying there's no likeable characters in the, in the... Nick, I suppose, is your likeable character, but he's an outsider. Hmm, interesting. Very interesting. So the <clears> book obviously misses... The film, sorry, misses a lot of that dynamic because it's all focused. Like, even... I remember when the film was advertised, thinking this is how Leo's going to get his Oscar. Well, so... Because he didn't have one at the how time. How you were saying about Tom Hanks, Leo DiCaprio's probably my favourite. I can't... Apart from Gatsby, I can't think of a single, like... As a grown up Leo film, I've seen again Romeo and Juliet, and but oh, he did what he could with the material. Um, oh, we're not doing this again. But again, that's another Baz Luhrmann film that, again, style over su- cracking soundtrack, but style over substance. I no see I, shamefully only watched Romeo and Juliet 
last year I think it was and yeah. it's the first time I'd seen it and I fucking loved it I thought it was so well done and I thought the way that they like contextualised it and I said modern day it wasn't really modern day it's like 70s, 80s, 90s whatever it was it was just so well like so well done um, but for me it wasn't I, I disagree with it being style over substance because if it was style over substance the style would get in the way of it it would get in the way of the story and I didn't feel like that happened at all Oh, Where with this, what I was going to say was all the marketing and stuff pointed it towards like these kind of over-the-top party scenes and a little party never killed, no, but a whole lot of that going on. Mm-hmm. Which is just the most clumsy line yeah. of a song. And But it's a clumsy film. Yeah. And again, so I remember before it was announced, Martin Scorsese was supposed to be doing it. If Martin Scorsese had done it, it would have... Leo would have won his Oscar for it and the film would have been a hundred times the film because I know you, you're not the biggest Martin Scorsese fan cause oh, from an attention point of span no attention span point of view purely that's the only reason because I think there's a misconception that Martin Scorsese is a one trick pony because his most famous films have been kind of gangster films but yes he's made good fellas but he's also made The Last Temptation of Christ and Hugo in New York, New York. Which one do you watch that? So, off topic, but I, th- I think if it was someone else that was signed up to direct that, because I know you don't like st- the, the phrase style over substance, but it is. It, I don't dislike it, I just I, I don't think it applies all the time. You've got the perfect source material, and you've already been shown that it can make a really good movie. Mm-hmm. How you can make such a colossal arse of it. I just don't understand. Like that phrase, a colossal arse of it. That's just true. It, like, it does get me, because I think people, Baz Luhrmann, I've seen him in interviews, and he seems like a dick. <laughs> and I, I think he thinks of himself a bit like Quentin Tarantino does, like as a bit of like an auteur. Yeah. Your films are trash. They're <laughs> trash. They're trash, Linda. <laughs> if you're listening, Baz, just be better. Oh God, I hope he's not. I'm going to get blacklisted. I'm going to have to blacklisted from but the But Philippines. that's why I say, because of Moulin Rouge, I loved, and it's because his, quote-unquote, style works in a film like that, mm. but it's an original story, it's set in a place where it is a cabaret, so it is all God singing, all dancing. Aye, aye. aye. It doesn't work with Great Gatsby, because, aye, you can have these big, bombastic, glamorous parties, yeah. but that shouldn't, that's not the centrepiece of that film. No. It's that's a, a device. Like, uh, you didn't really get to know the cat. Obviously, you knew... Like, if you were coming into it with fresh eyes, if you hadn't hit, didn't know anything about it, you would be none the wiser, really, on many of the characters in the film. Yeah. Because there's no development. It is just... It's so loud and in-your-face and flashy and just a mess. It's such a mess. I never understood as well. Like, there's nothing... Correct me if I'm wrong here, because you read it more than I have. The film puts Nick Carraway in a... a, a, a psychiatric institute... Yes, not? I think it starts with that. But that doesn't happen in the book. That's like a framing device. But it doesn't happen in the book. I'm sure it does happen in the book. I'm sure it starts with him talking to his shrink, discussing, like, as like a narrator. I can't remember. Again, it's been a long time since I've read it. I... But... I just thought I was a dad, so I was a, you know... There is one line from The Great Gatsby that I love. Is it the, the, the end line? Yeah. It just like, it's a really, like... It's something about end lines... The whole episode about end lines, <coughs> specifically the last line in Wuthering Heights, but that's one for another day. Um, as was it Born Ceaselessly? No, so we sold you. No, press on. I don't know. Um, it's on Born Ceaselessly to the past. I said something, something, something. We're so, it's just we're so well researched. I mean, we have we've seen them at some point. We're we're yeah. we're, we're killing the remit. Um, going so, like I said at the start. I'm going by... The, the examples that I picked up are ones that I picked up from articles of people saying these books-to-film adaptations were pish. Great Gatsby featured on more than one. Because they um, must have made a lot... Of, um, well, I made a lot of money. Well, it did. Um, let's have a looky-look. So Great Gatsby go... <laughs> try that one again. Again? Right. I'm having a stroke and then if you're helping me. Um, the Great Gatsby grossed $144.8 million in North America... Two hundred and eight point eight million in other countries for a worldwide total of three hundred and fifty three point six million dollars, calculating 
in all expenses, Deadline Hollywood estimated that the film made a profit of $58.6 million. On its opening date, made $19.4 million, including three point two five from 39 midnight shows. Went on to finish second place behind Iron Man 3. There you go. So, and a mitigated success financially, but you're not going to find many people saying that they enjoyed it. Because the thing is, right, a lot of these, what's interesting as well, if we're kind of heading towards wrapping it up. Right. No, no, not obviously. You can just tell me to shut up. No, I don't want you to shut up. I'm just going to say what you're saying is, it was, isn't very well liked. So mm. 40% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, based on 200 reviews, with 5.8 out of 10 as an average consensus. Um, a lot of these things that are book to film adaptations, like. How many people, I was going to use the phrase normal people, I don't mean normal people. Let's say, how many people that haven't read the book are going to be passionate about it? And the chances are, if a book is going to get made into a film, it's going to be a big, it's going to be a famous book. Because all the book-to-film adaptations we've spoken about, the books have been famous before the film. So everyone, a lot of people, I'll have that expectation of what it should be like, Mm -hmm. which isn't right. Yeah. But it's hard for people to go into these kind of things with fresh eyes. Yeah. And again, because there hasn't been a great deal of successful transitions with book to film, people might be a bit more hesitant to go. I can think of one that springs to mind that I can think of which has been really, really... Two, actually. Two really good adaptations. The first is The Fault in Our Stars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a brilliant adaptation of yeah. a brilliant book. And the second is... Love Simon, which obviously comes over from Simon versus Homo yeah. mm-hmm. Sapiens Agenda, both really good adaptations of Twilight as well. Twilight was a good adaptation. The later ones maybe not so much. Wasn't in my last episode, um. But there aren't there haven't been many, and I'm trying to think of like examples of like you think about like famous films, just famous films. How many of those have been adapted from a book? Well, I mean. Not to disagree with you, mm-hmm. but the most famous and like highest grossing films of the last seven or eight years have all been adapted for comic books. That's true. How many of the people that have watched those films and fallen in love with those films? Well, I've never, I've never read a comic book in my life. So. I have, and I, I have to say, I prefer DC. Like if I'm gonna like DC or Vertigo. Oh no, over. we're going into VL territory here. So. Um, I'm gonna keep it in just to shame you. Well, yeah, if you want to know what VL, VL is, for text Joe. We're calling comic book VLs VLs. Yeah. Okay. Um. But no, I and I think, but what those do is they take, they don't try and faithfully adapt. <coughs> they take social material that's there, like there's no Infinity Gauntlet thing. Like that's not a set story. That's like elements from like five or six different series that they just kind of smoosh together, mm-hmm. and then take an endings like and then put do you know what I mean like it's, yeah. like, it's a bit of a hodgepodge but a good hodgepodge a very good hodgepodge um, where I'm thinking like like a novel yeah, a, a, yeah it doesn't happen very often I'm looking over at the bookshelf now just to see if I can see any other ones that weren't great off the top of my head The Book Thief there by Marcus Zusak I've not read that yet but I gathered the film wasn't very good Um. well you're probably going to see them all getting well a lot of them now get turned into TV shows yeah. Like Normal People and Big Little oh. Lies and things like that. You should watch Normal People. In fact, you should read the book Normal People first. We recommend it that way back in like episode one, I feel like. Yeah. But you, because I don't, I, I think you're obviously still seeing book to film adaptations. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But I think you're seeing now a lot of them realising there's too much here that we'll have to cut out. Let's just. Yeah. And TV shows have, by and large, been way more successful than a lot of the films. Like, Big Little Lies that oh, June Park yes. cast probably yeah. and that will live like, that will live that's a proper like HBO beast that, yeah. that will have made and cost loads of money same with Dark Materials that was yeah. before that's on BBC and an HBO show yeah. or Game of Thrones yeah mm-hmm. like a lot of these things that are actually proven that maybe a TV model works better but then again I don't think a TV model works better from the point of view of we're going to do it to appease the fans of the book because I think that's what they're thinking about Obviously, it's important to some people, but I think a lot of authors don't really get a great deal of input. I think George R. R. Martin did on Game of Thrones because it became clear at some point through like the third or fourth season that the TV show was going to 
overtake him. So he needed to have input. It was impossible not to. He used to busy doing interviews on Jimmy Fallon. I know. To be writing his books. Wearing funny hats. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, we got a bit off topic the but that's fine. Right. Um, but that was Book to Film Adaptations. <coughs> and three examples, but I'm actually going to read. So what did we did? We did three there, was it three? Oh, well, three and a bit, you spoke about unfortunate events. Aye, so we did Golden Compass, based on his dark materials, a Da Vinci Code, based on the book of the same name, a little bit of a series of unfortunate events by Lemony Snicket and Great Gatsby. But on the long list, some other examples from those lists that are critically, commercially, um, audience reactionally, because they did flops for a variety of different elements, and those are there was Alice in Wonderland, the Tim Burton ones, mm-hmm. um, The Hobbit, which was made in the three films, which was the most fucking unnecessary thing. Yeah, could have ended after the first one. Yeah. And one of the lists, someone said The Shining. I personally hate The Shining. You do, right? But The Shining, for everyone, not everyone else, but most other people regard The Shining as like a classic. Mm-hmm. Whether you agree with it, like that, it's just, I love The Shining. I didn't love the book, but I loved the film. Um, the Shining was there for some reason. The Cat in the Hat. I didn't put oh. that in. Purely because I, I really quite like the cat in that film. I think it's really funny. But the book is like half a centimetre thick. Um, Time Traveller's Wife. What was the one that everybody's mum read on holiday and cried? Sister's Keeper. Nah. The, the Gerard Butler dies. Oh, um, P.S. I Love You. P.S. I Love You. Um, that was another one. And then also Skipping Christmas was on this book, which is on this list which is a John Grisham book, which was adapted into um, a movie called Christmas with the Cranks. I, I wish I still had my copy of Skipping Christmas because I read it and really enjoyed it. A really short book, really good fun. Um, New Moon was on here. I didn't even give that uh, push room, as my mum would say. Um, Paper Towns was on there. You didn't like the book of that, did you? No, but that was another one where none of the characters were... I couldn't empathise with a single character yeah. in it. And also June was on there. Dune, not June. Dune was on there. But I've not read it and I haven't seen it. So we're left alone. I've seen it. I wouldn't dream of reading it because it is a doorstopper. Yeah. They're remaking it though. Yeah. Ugh. So there are... Uh, I'll end on that just to say there are many, many examples of things yeah. that are like considered to be... Whatever. Um, There's probably loads as well that people don't realise are were books. Yes. Blade Runner. Most yes. people probably won't think that was, was a it book. called the Android Dream of Electric Sheep or something. Yeah, loads yeah. of them. Um. Anyway, that was that. We'll do a little tag on towards the end. But that was that was our topic. So thank you so much for listening. If you've made it this far, we'll do a little interlude and then we'll we'll finish up. Oh my God! You did it. That was that was a that was a stint. Um, I do apologise if it was a little bit bitty. We did our very best. Um, it's been a long time since we've recorded as a pair. Um, it's a funny old time of life, this isn't it? Like, we're all just doing what we can and when. Um, and the time since we last spoke, I've turned thirty one. Joe's birthday is at the time we've recorded this. We're on Saturday the ninth. Joe turns the same age on the fifteenth. Also, this coming Friday, um, we're just trying to navigate the situation as best as we can, and I would be lying if I said that I've been entirely happy this last couple of weeks. I got furloughed from work officially, um, a week past last Thursday, so almost two weeks ago. But no, it's no almost two weeks ago. It's not quite almost, um, and I've been trying to just exist and do things that make me happy. So looking a lot of Lego, um, a little bit of reading. Um, lots and lots of lots of trash TV, um, and just you know trying to get by and think that we're gonna get through to the end of it. Um, one thing I have done that's actually been quite helpful is um try and avoid the news. I was a bit of a news whore before. Like I used to watch a lot of like live feeds of the news and that kind of stuff is really harmful. You don't realize what a, what a negative impact that will actually have on you as a person until you're sitting at night just being like, well, I'm done with life and that's really dramatic I don't mean that obviously I mean like I'm done with surrounding yourself with this nonsense and you can't possibly consume any more that's what I meant there um, but yeah it's, it's a tricky old time um, and my, my plea to everyone would be 
we spoke a lot in episode four about I think escapism was that was the theme of that episode. Um, I guess my call out and my plea for you all would be to just, um, do things that make you happy within the confines of your home, because deliberately flouting like regulations that say stay the fuck inside, is obviously not what you need to be doing with your life. You're putting yourself in harm. You're putting the people that you love in harm. You're putting just the strangers in the street that you pass in harm's way. And it's really not cool. I know that sounds like reductive, but it's just not. It's selfish. It's rude. It's only going to make... It's only going to prolong the situation. The, the longer you go on and the longer you take matters into your own hands. And it's just a really, really, being a really shit human... And I would encourage you all, um, to just not do it. Um, Joe and I actually this week have been watching, um, what's it called? Richard and Judy's um, Keep Calm, or something like Keep Calm and Keep Reading or something like that. Um, on Channel Four, half five, all this last week, and it was excellent. So there's been lots of good book recommendations there. Um, I've bought most of them. <laughs> Um, but there's a moment I'm currently reading The Host by Stephanie Meyer um, I've been reading that for a few weeks now um, and it's kind of making me want to be a teenager again really since I've done that episode in the Twilight Saga I've been like oh, I really want to read those books again and timely enough Miss Stephanie Meyer announced that she was finally releasing Midnight Sun which is Twilight from Edward's point of view so that's going to be fun. I'm really excited to read that. It comes out in August. Um, but like I said, I'm reading The Host by Stephanie Meyer at the moment. I'd like to finish that quite soon. I feel like I'll be reading it for ages and ages and ages and ages. And then after that, who knows? I've got like five books arriving tomorrow because I have a proper sickness with it. Um, but and, and I've been editing my novel too. Just anything I can. And it's been a nice distraction tonight. So if you've made it all the way to the end, thank you for listening and thank you for given validation to my distraction it's been very nice for me um i think the next couple of episodes i think the next episode i'm doing is with joanna jenkins um it may not be this week it may not be next week what's well, today's saturday so it might be next week or the week after and it's going to be all about instances where the sequel is perhaps better than the original um and i think it is with disney movies Maybe not. No, it's not Disney movies exclusively, but it is movies, and Disney movies are a, f- a factor in that, um, and a discussion of are the sequels better than the original, and it's gonna be fun. But what I need to figure out is how I do that with Skype because obviously we are at home, at our respective homes, um. But yeah, thank you so much for listening. Um, as always, you can find information, the most information about the podcast. On at getting litty pod, that's G E T T I N L I T T Y P O D on Instagram. Funnily enough, I'm rambling now, I'm so sorry. We are a five star rated podcast from Two Reigns. That is irrelevant, but we are a five star rated podcast and we're well over 100 plays at this point, so we're, we're really doing it, yo. So thank you for listening. Um, all the very best. Stay safe. Take care. Wash your fucking hands. Stay the fuck home. Read a fucking book. Watch that film you've been meaning to watch for a while. Whatever you can in the confines of your house. Just take it easy. Enough love. Bye.